On Rebuilders today, we have a special guest. Who have we got, Mark? We've got Robin Lim, who is from Asbury University, an Aussie, um, uh, who happens to be in Melbourne at this moment. But it's been so fantastic uh, hearing his reflections on what God did, testifying to that, but also what God is doing in the world. So it's a wonderful first-hand accounts that I think will leave you really hope-filled. I'm excited to share it with our audience. Yeah, it's a great episode. Let's get into it. Welcome to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy and I'm here with Mark and Daniel. How are you both today? I'm good. Yeah. Doing well. Yep. Good to be back. Midwinter vibes. (laughs) Oh, rocking it. I walked here today. Oh. Yeah. Did you? In the midwinter vibes. Yeah. Yep. Congratulations. Nearly got rained on. (laughs) Yes. You know, loved life. Yeah. Yeah. We had some um, uh, uh, visitors from the States Mm. last week. Shout out to shout out to those crew. But they they're good on them. Coming out from summer in California (laughs) (laughs) to the like depths of winter. I know. Here in uh, here in Melbourne, which good on them. Yes. Yeah. But But there was pastries at the end of their journey. So you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think people expect pastries from us. Now it's the thing. We've I know. Created, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Which, we, uh, we we do have a guest here today. Yeah, we, yes. we actually don't have pastries. We have so a guest. We do have a guest. Uh, Robin Lim, it is wonderful to have you here with us today. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah. Fellow Aussie. Absolutely proud as punch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just just on that, actually, my, my grandpa, he was... Um, he was Dutch and he thought that proud as punch was proud as sponge, oh. which just like oh, every time sponge. I hear proud as punch, I think proud yeah. as sponge. Do, do Americans say proud as punch? No, I don't believe okay. so. Okay. <laughs> okay well, How would we go. translate that for our international audience? You're just proud. Just, just, proud. just, just proud. Yeah. Just proud. <laughs> Very proud. Chuffed? It's chuffed. chuffed. I, I think that's, that's more That's British. not American. That's, that's British. Yeah. Oh, there yeah. we go. Yeah. Stoked? Yeah. Stoked maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> right. Well, there we go. There uh, we language go. translations. Uh, Rob, it's great to have you with us. Um, bit of background. What What do you do? What do you do with yourself? Why do we have you here on this podcast? <laughs> what do I do? I'm actually based in Kentucky, USA. Yes. Maybe. So um, some of your listeners may be familiar mm-hmm. with Asbury University. Yes, they definitely will be. I'm a <laughs> professor of business over there. Okay. Um, quite a new uh, person on faculty there, mm-hmm. but very glad to be ministering in that context. Um, and I also, throwing in my Australian roots, I'm a yeah. pastor in Australia too, so I carry yeah. a little bit of a uh, co-vocational wing, mm. I should say. Mm. Great. So perhaps take us on the journey from, um, we'll talk obviously about Asbury, but just the journey getting to Asbury. Yes. So um, it is a bit of a global affair, mm. Mark. I um, uh, I was born and bred in Sydney, Australia. So again, very proud of my home city uh, and have travelled a fair bit around Australia. Went to Canberra, studied at the ANU over there. Oh, okay. yeah. After that, ended up working in Melbourne and uh, the banking and financial services industry. Mm-hmm. Um, that took me to various places in the world. And one particular area that I did end up in um, was in South Africa. Whilst oh. I was in <laughs> Durban there, in fact, um, in the hotel lobby, I came across the past president of Asbury Seminary. Mm. Uh, this was back in 2012, I believe. Uh, ever since I um, met that gentleman, uh, the Lord really imprinted Asbury on my heart. Mm. And in 2018, I guess I had the courage or foolishness, depends which end of the coin <laughs> you want to look at, to, to head over there to follow this conviction. I commenced at the seminary over there. So there's two institutions in mm. In Warmore, Kentucky, Asbury Seminary and Asbury University. Mm-hmm. Uh, I attended the seminary and completed some studies there at the end of last year. Mm. It took me four years to finish. And as I noted to Libby earlier, I commenced at Asbury University at the beginning of this year, 2023. Mm-hmm. Mm. And you mentioned that you're a pastor here in Australia. Just tell us about how that came about, too. Yeah, I've been heavily involved in um, more an ethnic Australian denomination here Mm -hmm. and um, I've got a huge heart for the second generation. Mm. So um, at the the time of um, when I had to pick between uh, which uh, denomination I wanted to affiliate myself with, this was back in the States, 
um, it was quite obvious to me that I wanted to remain rooted mm. with uh, my home country mm. and the, um, as we all know here in Australia, the huge uh, multicultural well that is in mm. Australia. Yeah, um, definitely. The opportunities that come out of that both missionally and um, evangelistically. So um, I'm based with them. Um, I usually come back around three months a year mm. to um saturate myself in ministry mm. in that sense mm. and um, I'm thankful that I get to also then head back to the States for mm. uh, the rest of the year to teach business and finance yeah. with a theological lens. Yeah. I think that's probably something to even note for our listeners that I don't think a lot of people overseas who have not been to Australia don't realise how multicultural Australia is. Mm. And I sort of sat the other day because, you know, I've been to the UK a lot. Australia has twice as many uh, people from a migrant background as the UK, which is an interesting wow. uh, statistic, yeah. Um, so you are uh, studying uh, at the seminary, but then you make a sort of transition horizontally across. Tell us yes. about that. Yes, it came out of the blue and um, just like to testify to all of us, even again to myself, God really does like to outwit us sometimes. <laughs> and um, yep. we may have plans and um, they get derailed in a good way, mm. um, even beyond our understanding. Um, I was planning to complete and then jump onto the trajectory that I already had in my mind mm. um, to minister in Australia and whatnot. However, I was asked by the university, um, they, they found out about my financial and banking services background and my desire to see uh, faith in the marketplace, um, mm. public theology mm. and um, just the convictions they held as an institution and where my heart is, mm. um, there was a good match and I felt the Lord really leading me down that path for this season mm. and um, in, in a very personal way and I would know we'll get to the Asbury outpouring later but um, I really felt a sense of um, uh, personal confirmation mm. uh, on my side mm. after that occurred. Mm. Um, but you you all should visit Wilmore, Kentucky at some mm. date. Mm. Well, we, uh, yeah, we could have a uh, you know, deal with um, uh, Rebuilders <laughs> listeners. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, uh, so... Uh, from my understanding, you are lecturing um, business and, and financial in, with your financial background, um, and you're doing that for only a handful of weeks when yes. something quite sort of earth-shattering happens. Uh, <laughs> I'd love for you to share that with the audience. <laughs> yes, uh, talk about timing. I actually only commenced in that role uh, in the first week of January. Yeah, wow. Mm. And I remember... Um, going around to the various faculty members and staff members just to get an idea of what God was doing on campus and mm. hearing stories about people praying, um, hearing about uh, the climate of uh, spirituality in the dorms. Mm. But lo and behold, as we all know now, on February the 8th, so just a few weeks after, mm. uh, the what we now know as the Asbury outpouring occurred. Mm. So I feel tremendously um, blessed to have been there mm. and to have witnessed what I believe is something which is not simply held within Asbury University itself, mm. but something which I truly believe is manifesting in many, many other parts of the world. In fact, mm. I really think what we have witnessed in Asbury University it, it, it has occurred in other places, but we yeah. may not have heard or witnessed it, but there's yeah. something so obviously unique about it occurring in um, an America. Mm. Um, and we all know about the uh, the challenges Christianity faces in the Western world. Yes. Mm. And for it to occur there, I think it just provides a renewed hope to the global church, capital mm. C church. Yeah. I'm just fascinated by something you said there too. Like it, before we even get to the outpouring, when you, when you did that little reconnaissance of just, you know, testing or asking about the spiritual climate mm. before, what, what what were people saying? Um, I think there are two, there were two streams of thought. Mm. Um, just to paint context of the area, uh, Wilmore, Kentucky has experienced um, outpourings, revivals in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a very well-documented revival that occurred in 1970. 
Mm. And um, people associate it very closely with um, the move of God that occurred during that time, mm. uh, not only in the USA but across the world. So they, there is that heritage. Mm. And because you have people that are still alive today that have experienced it, yes. there is um, you have the gift of testimony mm. which still lives and people mm. sharing stories. And gosh, can I say that when you talk to some of the um, – uh, the older generation that have experienced not one but now two revivals, mm. um, it is so touching to the soul mm. to see how much an individual's life can be impacted in that, that way. In mm. fact, sometimes when you speak to them, they still get quite emotional, mm-hmm. just um, harking back to the memories and the um, change in heart that they had. Um, but there is that heritage there, so you have that aspect of that stream. Mm. On the other end, um, Asbury or Wilmore, I should say, is a um, fairly transient town, okay. as you'd expect from one that has two academic yes. institutions. Yes. So you have people coming in that don't have that heritage, mm. um, students especially. Mm. Um, but the ones that do hear the story, they contend. You, you do get a sense that there is a, that feels like a responsibility to contend. It's part of the heritage. But there are also um, a number of uh, people that will not be as mm. heavily involved mm. or aware Mm. of this heritage and um so i think you do have these two um streams at play and that and that's very much what i felt mm. uh when i was at as when i commenced at asbury university at the start of the year um and some contending but there was also a sense of i guess you can even state the word apathy mm. um so two streams and uh obviously it's shifted dramatically now mm. after the outpouring um but no doubt, in, even when I reflect back on that now, that is also something that we see in many communities and mm. you see those yeah. two streams. Mm. Yeah, I was just about to make that comment actually. I feel like that um, very much typifies a lot of what we've talked about mm. um, over the last couple of years, this uh, a, a burden and a hunger for renewal but also like this general kind of malaise and apathy mm. around, um, yeah, communities of, of faith and yeah, God's obviously doing something in that. Mm. Uh, last week's episode, we we talked again about the contours of renewal. We've talked about Asbury, um, the Asbury outpouring uh, on this podcast, but you were there. We would love to hear your experience. I mean, we were blessed as a church to hear your reflections um, a few weeks ago. Um, I personally was deeply moved by them. I've already prepared myself with some tissues here beside <laughs> me. Um, but yeah, I yeah, so encouraging to hear testimony of what God is doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, as an opening line um, to us here, but also to everyone listening, I want to really state strongly and with joy <laughs> that Aslan is on the move. Mm-hmm. To borrow that term from mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. um, again, I have to continually state this. Asbury University is not the only place where an outpouring has occurred Mm. and we need to also view Asbury University in context of everything else. Mm. Um, It is but one manifestation of what God has done and um, even right now in Asbury and during the the outpouring, we will continually asking, Lord, uh, make this a come and see movement but absolutely a go and tell movement. Please Mm. don't contain it and Mm. actually do things larger in in other parts of the world that even the name of Asbury may be diminished. Mm. Uh, But where was I uh, on that day? Um, It was February 8th on Wednesday. uh, Being a Christian liberal arts university, we do have compulsory chapel Mm. for our student body. And um, that morning at chapel, it went along as normal. Um, There were a few things to note though there it was um it, it was unique in that there was a um a gospel choir that day okay and um we very much wanted to um uh, not only recognize that because i believe there's something there with uh, um uh the multi-diversity of the campus mm. um but also I think it symbolises something which is going on more broadly around the world. Secondly, um, there was no hype in that room. Mm. Uh, my friend was preaching and admittedly to him it it, it wasn't a amazing preach. Um, and the service, 
ended on time, people went back to class. But the extraordinary piece was a few students remained back to linger. Mm. And in the midst of that lingering, uh, the Lord birthed something. Mm. Um, there was no leaders. Mm. I must stress there was no charismatic personalities. Mm. There was no uh, technical support. Mm. Um, there was simply a small group of students that chose to linger. Mm. And news of this student group, small student group, had spread across campus. Again, nothing extraordinary, mm. but obviously something which brought smiles to uh, people on campus that were involved in the spiritual life of it. Mm. Um, however, from that, we saw a, mag a magnetism, mm. I think, that drew people to it because there was an authenticity that was there that you do not see or witness too much today, yeah. mm. whether it's in our parents' spiritual spheres or secular spheres. Mm. I went to teach class at um, 1 p.m. that afternoon and I recall uh, four students barging in at 1.30 p.m. Uh, without any notice mm. and uh, they looked like they had been swept up in emotion and um, one of them who I knew quite well blurted out, uh, Prof Rob, you need to go to Hughes Auditorium now. Revival is breaking. Um Obviously, when you hear a comment like that, yeah. um, you don't, well, first of all, you don't expect comments like that. Mm. Um, uh, but I must confess, there was a level of scepticism that came mm. into my mind. Um, yeah. And I was hesitant. However, um, enough of me was curious to stop class that day mm. and to encourage my students to head off to Hughes Auditorium. Mm. And can I testify, um, even before I got inside that that chapel, the there was such a strong, thick presence that was reverberating from it simply through the cries of the young adults in that room. Mm -hmm. There was a purity which was um, so rare today as if every single word that they uttered was meant to be heard by the Lord. It wasn't mm. sung for the sake of lyrics and mm. because the tune was nice and it was the latest Christian song of the day, mm. but there was a deep, profound sense of declaration mm. through it. Mm. And I remember when I got in there, I was struck by the simplicity of it all. Mm. There was, again, no no hyped up instruments, there was simply an acoustic guitar at that time, no projectors, no lyrics, yet people were still singing in one accord. Mm. And in the midst of that, you could also hear um, students um, repenting and confessing to one another. And even beyond that, you could hear students weeping mm. as they were at the prayer altar. Mm. Mm. And... Um, you could tell that this was not manufactured mm. because everyone in that room was in a posture of vulnerability. Mm. There was an openness to one another which was high risk in the eyes of mm. obviously uh, uh, humans mm. and how we conduct ourselves with one another. But because the veil, the, the, the veil to their soul was so open, it felt like they had this direct intimacy with the Lord. Mm. Um, that student body group that was in Hughes Auditorium just continued to grow after that. Mm. Again, not because there was anything um, worldly attractive about mm. it, but the presence in that room, um, gosh, even when I think back on it now, it was so tangible. It was so... So peaceful, so joyful, mm. so holy, so it, it just it just sung into your soul. It gave vitality to your faith. It it made you bold and courageous. Yet there was also this subtle fear of the Lord, but not not in a way that made you want to shun away, but mm. made you just want to bow down. Mm. That fear of the word, sorry, fear of the Lord phrase is a really interesting one mm. um, 
because um, in theology often there is this continuum between the imminence of God and the transcendence of mm. God. And you know, I think very much so you could argue that there has been a cultural drift. I think it's part of something that's been in the contemporary church. It's also in our contemporary culture towards the imminence mm. of Jesus and how much he's like us and mm. walking alongside of us, which is all deeply biblically true. But what I'm also hearing is it's almost like this can combine both. There was that mm. close presence, but then there was also this fear of the Lord, this yurach, this this mm. sense. Yeah, just be fascinated with that because I'm just wondering too for perhaps emerging generations like Generation Z or Generation Z um, that perhaps that's something newish. Would mm. that be right? Yeah, I'm just mm. interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, I absolutely hear you. And the way I like to illustrate this fear per se mm. um, is via verse or that image of Isaiah saying, woe to me for I'm a man of unclean mm. lips. Yeah. Mm. So it wasn't so much not wanting to be in the presence. There was a magnetism to be in the Lord's presence. There was a beauty. There was a joy. There was a peace. Mm. Yet there was such a respect and reverence for who the Lord was, not because we couldn't approach him, but because there was a sense that um, do I have anything that I can um, – um, of myself to offer to the Lord in this way. Mm. So in other set, in another way of saying that is that there was this great desire for myself to be to be holy too, mm. um, to be holy as God is holy. Mm. In a very unusual way, because of this desire to be holy and the way that God is holy, there was a desire to see my fellow sister and brother to be holy too. Mm. Yes. So there was a um, relational aspect to it. There was mm, a social aspect to it. And I think in some ways that's why when people came in, um, there was a magnetism, yes, to that presence in the room, um, which I believe was the Lord's presence, but also the full expression of the church there. Mm. People were just reaching out and engaging with one another without a facade, mm. without a sense of entitlement or um, a, a social transaction to take place, mm. yes. but simply because they wanted others to experience that same intimacy that they were experiencing with the mm. Lord. And it it's so hard to, to use words to describe that experience in the room because it it is even beyond words, but... Um, all of that mixed together really did feel like the veil between heaven and earth was thin mm. at that point. Mm. And, um, and it did give me great hope mm. for the future. It affirmed my hope mm. um, eschatologically, mm. knowing that that is what a, a very small foretaste of what we can look forward to. Yeah, wow. Mm. That, um, that reverence, that love, that peace, that joy, but mm. also that reverence mm. for the Lord. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I <clears throat> am just interested too in that sense of um, that fear of the Lord, that reverence also from what I've heard also led to public confession and elements which, mm. you know, I, I've, I think, you know, different moves of God that have happened as I've been alive and, um, you know, I think of people who have been deeply affected from things like, you know, the early charismatic renewal and Toronto, you know, different things like this. There was an element where uh, often there were sort of signs and wonders attached to mm -hmm. that and that was sort of this move. And um, But it's really interesting that confession, there was something almost older evangelical in its purest form of that word around the gospel and people confessing their sins. Yeah, just interested in that dynamic of it too. Yeah, that was um, um, – and, and just noting those other revivals that occurred – um, I did have the privilege of meeting a um, uh, theological historian who studied uh, revivals, mm. um, recent and those in um, the First and Second Great Awakening, just to hear his view on the characteristics of this particular yeah. move of God. And um, he did note some of the revivals you mentioned earlier and um, the... the um, uh, the charisma involved in that. Mm. Um, but he also noted there was a charisma here for the Asbury outpouring, notwithstanding that it felt um, a lot more um, gentle. Mm. And um, 
I truly believe when we look at the church um, in the same way that we read Ephesians and we see that there's various body parts that we all play mm. in mm. the body, but the church also has many various traditions that that form the universal church. And um, and what God did during the outpouring is you did see this broad consensus mm. of people. It might not have felt like I was be um, be familiar with some that have experienced other revivals in the past mm. but i think we saw a different type of gentle charisma that was manifest mm. um it was marked by four clear themes um this heavy sense of radical humility yeah mm. and when i say that um, um it's a radical humility in the sense that um people just had this this gentle force to continually posture themselves lower, mm. um, mm. not out of um, weakness, but out of reverence, again, mm. that word, mm. and uh, in full recognition that we didn't want to celebritize or platform ourselves, um, but we just simply wanted to see Jesus glorified because God had distracted us in mm. that moment. Mm. Mm. Um, the second theme that really came out was this sense of unity. Mm. Um, and again, going back to um, what you pointed out earlier, Mark, there have been other um, wonderful move of God's wonderful moves of God in the past. However, um, we did see this universality that came through in this outpouring. Mm. Um, we didn't note it on the day, but uh, because we were all distracted by God. Mm. But there were so many different types of faith tradition, Christian faith mm. traditions, mm. their denominations mm. that were present uh, and worshipping in one accord. It was absolutely mm. beautiful. And when I reflect back on this now, I remember the uh, Catholic priest that we saw. Mm. I remember the, um, uh, again, very uh, from classical to contemporary to traditional mm. um, um, uh, worship styles or mm. um, approaches to the church present. Mm. Um, in addition to unity, I think I need to also express the uh, multicultural aspect mm. of it. Uh, there were many, many different peoples of every tribe and tongue, mm. to borrow from Revelation 7. Um, another attribute that was so clear was this concept of returning to holiness. Mm. And um, uh, as I described to people when I talk about Hughes Auditorium, it is a very old uh, chapel. Mm. And right at the back of the hall above the altar, there's these words plastered there, holiness unto the Lord. Mm. And um, that's, for one, those words you don't really hear uttered on the streets mm. of Australia, let alone in yeah. most countries. Mm. Um, but that desire for holiness seemed to, what that message entailed in that banner seemed to um, uh seemed to come out and seep into people's hearts, not a mm. holiness that was defined by moralism, mm. but a holiness that was, again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I want to be like God because God is holy mm. and I want to see holiness manifest in the world, in society, mm. because it, it, um, it, it brings flourishing. Mm. Um, and the final attribute that was so clear was this overwhelming sense affirmation of love mm. um, people went in there and it was the most beautiful sight to see and um, as soon as the presence of the Lord just removed those facades that we all hold on to mm. I hold on to mm. we all do when they melted away you were just struck with a pronounced declaration that you are a child you are a daughter you're mm. a son of God and mm. um, and that confirmation was just so assuring, mm. Mm. Um, especially um, in our time, mm. in our era. One thing I'm fascinated by, like, and I was thinking about this, like, are there, and we, because we're having this conversation too, and, and, you know, what God's been doing amongst us as well, and what we're yeah. hearing from listeners writing in and and um, I guess one of my questions is, is there like this, and you may not have an answer, I'm just <laughs> sort of thinking <laughs> out loud here, but these are really interesting, these these different attributes, that is there like a meta move of God and then there's local expressions of it? So it's interesting even looking at these, um, if we think about, you know, I think we've been outside of America, mm. uh, but looking in and, and I think probably the sort of very public tumult that America's gone mm. through, particularly mm. in the last sort of few years, uh, you know, like 
some of the elements of that, there has been a lot of, both in the secular and Christian worlds, lights shone on powerful, charismatic people, mm-hmm. and, and particularly when that goes bad. So in a sense, radical humility is the opposite of that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a sense of unity um, during a time of tremendous polarisation. Mm. Um, even, uh, I'm not sure if that was a sub-point or a sub-point of unity, but even the multicultural element yes. during a time of real, you know, racial tumult and, and you know, amateur at that book, tribes, you know, tribalization, mm-hmm. um, holiness at a time of really what people have lamented, I think, uh, sort of corruption coming mm-hmm. in, you know, at high levels, personal levels. And, uh, yeah, there's sort of almost that Puritan side of America in terms of moralism, you know, turning into something almost sort of hedonism, you yes, know. Yes. And then the love, again, is almost an antidote to just the fractious political and social you know, lack of trust, you know, stuff that's mm. been happening. Mm. Um, yeah, do you see, uh, again, you're an Aussie, but you've been living there, you know, um, that's how I sort of look at it, you know, sort of, I guess, looking at sort of someone who looks at culture, it's almost like these things are the opposite of what's been happening in the culture. Just fascinating if you've got any thoughts on that. Absolutely. I do think it it is very countercultural, mm. but I do think it is countercultural in um, different forms mm. in different societies. And that's the beauty of the the these uh, manifestations of the Lord, or even just um, the Word altogether. When we read the Word, um, the ba- the way that it can um, contextualize and pierce different societies based mm. on their specific symptoms. Mm. So, if I take radical humility, for instance, and I look at um, the American context, um, everyone knows that America is the um, leading economy. It's a superpower. Yeah. Um, it has a large population. Mm. It has significant um, capitals, which are hubs or um, incubators for technology and whatnot for the rest of the world. Mm. Mm. So they hold that mantle. But because of that, there is a heavy to temp- temptation to platform oneself. And yes. um, with great levels of status and power, obviously the temptation of pride is very Mm. apparent. Mm. So radical humility in that context is quite clear. Mm. However, I think in Australia Mm. um, uh, radical humility uh, hits a different way. Yes. Um, We have this – I think if you asked Australians generally if we feel we are humble, I think most would say we are um, because we're doing it relative to – uh, view of the great superpowers of the world. Yes, yes. yes. And um, we have this phrase, she'll be right, mate, in yes. Australia, for <laughs> instance. And um, it's a very stoic type yes. uh, term um, just to illustrate what that means for people that aren't from Australia. She'll be right, mate, means um, if you get injured and and um, someone asks you how you get, how you're going, and you usually respond, um, "I'll be right, mate," or yeah. if something breaks and someone comes along and asks you, "Would you like me to help you with that?" Uh, we we try to deflect any sense of need, and we'll say, yes. "Oh, she'll be right, mate." Yes. And yeah. I think inherently within that there is a pride <laughs> because we don't yeah. want to keep ourselves vulnerable. Yes. So I think radical humility can teach us something there. Also mm. in Australia, this whole concept of a tall poppy syndrome, yeah. yes. we're so fearful of power mm. um, that um, anyone that attains or earns anything mm. is pulled down. Mm. But I think that is also a sense, there's a, there's a false sense of humility in that. Yes, yes. Um, yes. In some sense, we're uh, weaponizing humility, aren't we? Yes, yes. And um, so I think this whole concept of radical humility, um, there's there's just two words, radical humility, but I think the ways that it can serve as an antidote to societies differs slightly. Mm. It's, it's interesting. I wonder even if there's something in that because um, – I think what, what we've seen in the US is a lot of those platforms pulled down, mm. you know, and, and I think even our social media landscape. But I wonder if even there's something that our sin in Australia, I call it that. I love to that. It's so true. Like we're like Australians are world class at humility. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's almost a self-deny. You, know, you didn't say that, but I was almost thinking that's almost what Australians want. I think we're so humble. <laughs> Which, if you think of that, you're not humble. Um, but almost it's that horizontal undercutting and mm. – 
tear that person down. And I wonder if that's actually catching on. Like I think actually, uh, you know, you, there's almost this sort of like sideways tearing down of people. Uh, so almost I wonder if the tall poppy syndrome in a way is going international. You know, it's almost mm. the next phase of it. That's just yeah. a little mm. aside I had. Um, but I think you're right. I mean, I think even here in Australia, how we've seen it um, is less around the platform thing as much around the challenge around the life of comfort. Mm. You know, America has, um, as you said, you know, global superpower. Um, but then also, like I saw last night, I think Adam Tooze and the Financial Times put up a thing of like America's now life expectancy has dropped below Turkey and West mm. Virginia's life expectancy was level with North Korea, which is mm. staggering, you know. Uh, Australia doesn't have that. So there's an element like, yeah, we don't see ourselves as a superpower, but actually we're an incredibly high-performing middle-level country who mm. has an incredible standard of living. So I wonder for Australia, it's more the platform of my good life. And we've seen, you know, even people coming forward and giving their life to Jesus, you know, in these sort of different moves. Mm. That's a radical counterculturalism of am I willing to put my high standard of living and comfort and not needing help on the altar before Jesus. Mm. Um, mm. So I think you're right. There, there's something in that where it plays out in different countries. Yeah. 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 And um, just just to add on to that, I think that's absolutely right and something that we need to recognise. Um, um, if I put my Australian hat on, by upholding ourselves that way, um, there is a great sense of us in some sense, wanting to prove ourselves to 100%. be, we're trying yeah. to prove ourselves to be humble, and by yes, proving yes. ourselves to be humble, that actually is a manifestation of pride itself. Yes. So yes. we're looking for using it negatively, but pillars to demonstrate that we are yes. humble. Yes. Yes. And um, and uh, manufacturing it. Yes. Uh, yes. Even with um, whether it's sports or yeah, <laughs> which we're well fond of here, or yes, um, any any part of society really. Yeah. And just, just to just to let the audience, particularly the audience in the United Kingdom, know this cannot be used in any way about as a commentary on the ashes or anything about that. <laughs> yes, trying absolutely. to prove ourselves as working class heroes to the, you know, the, the yes. uh, members of the MCC. Um, yeah, so it's it's yeah, it's fascinating how God uses that, and it's almost like it's almost in some ways too, like you know, the incarnation is a thing. It's almost when God's presence comes, it also incarnates into a culture in a particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I'm I'm also just interested. Uh, you know, mention mentioning the idea of radical humility yes. being um, something that sort of expresses itself in in different ways in different cultures. I feel like um, that returning to holiness. As you were speaking, I had that um, that phrase that you know people use to kind of lord over one another. You know, um, oh, you're being so holier than thou. That yes. kind of notion, and mm. I, I feel like that that's kind of captured in what we're talking about just then with the Australian culture of cutting one another down, mm. and the idea that holiness is something not to be sought but to to be avoided because you yes. don't want to you know mm. be higher than somebody mm. else but you were mentioning this idea of it's not a moralism but there's this holiness that um we seek after because we want to see god's goodness and his love saturate society mm. um mm. yeah so i'm just interested in your thoughts about how like the notion of of holiness um yeah, could change society, I suppose, and what yes. what you're sort of seeing. Yes, yes. Um, based on uh, the outpouring. absolutely. Yeah, and in some sense, um, the way I approach that question will probably be similar to how we saw the radical humility piece sure. manifest yeah, yeah, in yeah. different cultures. Yeah. Mm. Even if I look at return to holiness, um, from my perspective, when we look at it in uh, in America, and you've, it's well known that there's a Bible Belt there. Mm. One of the temptations that that can um, that can occur there is a return to holiness could very easily turn into a com- competition for moralism yes. mm. uh, because there is a uh, embedded cultural code there. Mm. Now, um, whilst I say that it is good for us to live in a moral way, yet if that is our only intent so that we can place a scout badge onto our shirt and say we've achieved something, then it kind of defeats the purpose. Mm. The funny thing is, and I'm not sure whether you agree with this, but in Australia I feel that it's it's the same thing. There's this moralism piece that is there. Yeah. But um, uh, uh, it's not trying to attain it. It's trying to be as far away from it as possible. Yeah, absolutely, yes. yes. Uh, because there is a um, that bigot element that could be associated mm-hmm. with yes. it. And it's... Um, I think we're fascinated and we're really keen to be 
the good bloke, very accepting mm. and, you know, mm. be, be nice to people. Mm. Uh, that kind of rings true down under. Um, but if anyone wants to hold up this, uh, hold up uh, uh, the moral, I am moral flag, then yes. automatically it rings alarm bells. Mm. Totally. I should say rightly yes. so as well. I think yeah. there's yeah. been a lot of own goals that the church mm. has committed mm-hmm. and, um, and, um, and we need to repent of that in some mm. sense, myself included. But, um, but I think that detraction from moralism uh, in Australia is a, a different way of returned holiness. Mm. Um, but the counter piece that I feel the Lord has done through Asbury University that is counter both to that manifestation of uh, moralism in the US versus Australia is um, we see it as a standard in both sides. The US mm. sees it as a standard to attain, maybe Australia sees it as a standard to to detract from. Yes. But really, holiness is a, it's not a standard, it's a person. Mm. Mm-hmm. Holiness is Jesus. Mm. And um, and everything that we view of Jesus' ministry was not done to attain a moral standard. Yeah. It was done to serve, to see flourishing, mm. to mm. see love just um, overflow across everyone he came across. And mm. I think that reconfiguration, or it's not even a reconfiguration, it's a restoration of mm. what holiness is mm. that was brought to life during the outpouring is something that has taught me a deep lesson. Mm. And, um, again, I, I've got no doubt that that return to holiness will manifest itself slightly differently, not only at a country context, but even at an individual context, because yes. we all have our distortions of what yes. that means. Mm. And just being able to be um, gently pushed and prodded along mm. to what holiness is. And it is a person, it's mm. a relationship, it's mm. the embodiment of um, someone that walks beside us always to the very end of the age. It's mm. mm, beautiful. One of the things that um, people may not be aware as well, and, and I was fascinated in, in chatting with you, um, is the way that this has sort of spread out into different places. Mm. And, um, you know, yes, it has been in the Bible Belt of the US, um, but then God's using this in really interesting ways outside. You know, you're heading off to Asia mm. soon. Um, mm. uh, yeah, just love to – whatever you'd like to share about that would be really interesting, for, I think, for our audience to hear. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, and and very much in the um, vein of encouragement. Uh, as you noted, Mark, there were spot fires across the US mm. Mm. Um just starting at that level, during the outpouring itself, we were absolutely in awe of the number of people that came, mm. not only from around the US but also the world. Mm. If I focused on the US element first, the um, the other aspect that was unique was the Gen Z representation. Mm. And seeing them come, Maybe some out of curiosity, maybe some out of genuine desire to respond in faith, mm. irregardless, even some skeptics maybe, mm. and witness this move of God and then be driven and compelled um, to go back to their own campus to testify and then seeing spot fires break out there. Mm. <laughs> so the number of schools and universities that uh, broke out in um, worship, prayer, um, outpouring mm. um, was Phenomenal. Mm. Uh, I, I, I wonder if there is actually a, a tally list of num- the number mm. of schools and universities that experienced the presence of God in that way. Uh, one story, for instance, was um, we were in the um, we were in a prayer room underneath um, uh, Hughes Auditorium, and it was a place for friends and family of the university to just uphold what was happening. Mm in Hughes Auditorium with prayer. And I, rem- I remember very vividly two students from another university popping their heads in, mm. um, th- um, thinking that it was a room for prayer over them. Mm. Um, they came in and there was a world-renowned theologian in the room at that time and um, we told the students, look, this room, we're praying for what's happening above mm. and please join us. And they said, oh, we, we actually want prayer for ourselves." So why not? Let's pray mm. for them. <laughs> and it was amazing hearing their heart, mm. hearing the desire for their university to also experience the move of God. 
And I kid you not, we prayed for them and it wasn't, we are not the vehicle of this occurring. It was mm. clearly the Lord, but we just got mm. the joy of participating by by praying over them. Uh, a few hours later, we received a, a picture from social media that um, stated that the university that these students were from a few mm. hours later had broke out in prayer and worship and students were being baptised in their fountain. Mm. And, um, you know, there are countless stories like that, mm. um, just boldness coming into students as they went out and spread this across the USA um, in saying that there were also numerous churches that we've heard of as mm. people have gone to testify, those that came and those that were encouraged and students as well that went to testify. And many of the people that we know that went out to testify these churches, they're not, they're not, um, uh, the most eloquent people, mm. they're not winsome. Mm. But I think in that sense you can absolutely shine the light on the Lord and give him the glory for what is mm. happening. And you saw mm. prayer altars filled to the brim in some mm. of these churches mm. because of the testimony of a few. Mm. And um, as I noted, I keep saying this word, but hope was renewed. Mm. I think people recognised that Aslan is on the move. Mm. I'm not just living religion. I'm living a faith that is real and God mm. is present. And then you hear the testimonies from abroad, um, from Japan or from uh, the um, the UAE. There was a wonderful story, the final night of the um, outpouring. Um, it just happened to coincide with this day called the Collegiate Day of Prayer. Uh, mm -hmm. This was planned well in advance of any um, <laughs> outpouring <laughs> and um, its purpose is to invite all college campuses on the USA to pray for awakening on their campus. But again, the Lord outwitted us. <laughs> and um, well. it, it appeared to be a good bookend to mm. the, um, the outpouring. Um, it was also televised and... Um, we heard of a English news channel in the UAE that decided to televise this. Mm -hmm. And the number of responses they got back uh, because of this, um, this televised event was astounding. Mm -hmm. Like I, 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 just to think that that was picked up and yeah. televised into that part of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then you just continue again. I was just um, I was just talking to uh, David Thomas, um, who I know Mark knows, mm. earlier this morning, and he was he was testifying to um, uh, this special time in intimacy with the Lord that came about when he visited Norway. <laughs> mm, <laughs> so yeah. visiting a church there again, they were mm. just renewed with hope that yeah. Aslan is on the move, yeah. and this church in, I can't remember the town anymore, just mm. desiring to get on their knees and pray mm. for awakening, for mm. their land and outpouring. And mm. again, that whole concept of lingering just occurred. Yes. Mm. And yeah. people want to remain, give space mm. for the Lord to move, not be dictated by our genders and our itineraries and uh, um, four made plans, but just to rest and trust and enjoy the presence of the Lord and to mm. cry out to him because he is the author of time itself. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, there's almost an image that you inadvertently gave there of those young men coming and you guys are praying under. So I think from my recollection when we spoke that underneath Hughes Auditorium there's a, a secondary room that's mm. directly underneath it and that became a place where many of the people who'd been hoping for this, shepherding it, had been praying underneath. Mm. And I, I wonder whether there's almost something metaphoric in that in the sense of I think a lot of the people listening to this podcast have been the kinds of people who perhaps the only person in their church or the mm. handful of people in their towns or perhaps have gone through COVID and seen their churches diminish but then their hope grow, mm. that there's almost been this sort of metaphoric under the room group of people who are praying and they don't see a lot of – they haven't felt like they've seen a lot of results. Mm. Um, but then I wonder whether like what God is doing, and I just think I just wrote down that, you know, hope is renewed that those listening who have been submerged mm. <laughs> in yes. the downstairs room to have hope that the above stairs room will finish, uh, will fill with people, you know, yes. and that's um, – you know, to keep pressing. And I think the story of Asbury is a really encouraging one because mm. uh, I think that there was seeds, 1970, 
people praying, people shepherding. Um, and there's also a, a metaphoric element in it too, a parabolic element that they weren't seeing. They weren't on the platform. They were interceding in the mm. hidden place as well. Mm. And I think there's a, we know the people who write to this, there's a lot of people and uh, contact us who are interceding and, you know, Norway, Finland, you know, rural New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> There's all these places, you know, that people have said, you know, I think today's been a fantastic encouragement um, to hear mm. this testimony. And I love mm. the language of testimony. Testimony is when God yes. moves and God does something. Yeah. So, yeah, we're just really encouraged to, uh, yeah, hear this story. Oh, yeah. I'm, um, I'm equally encouraged by the stories I'm hearing. And mm. in some sense, just on that point again of renewed hope it's um it really feels like for myself anyway um i'm looking back and thanking god for the things that have happened in my life and mm. um and on what he's done in the past and whatnot mm. but then because of this outpouring it's it's as if now i'm looking forward yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i'm looking towards um hope not just in the past that had occurred but hope mm. that yes i know that hope is going to occur in the future yes. because it has been promised mm. yeah and um because of that there's just so much um vitality and life mm. that just is is given to us yeah mm. because we know that it's already won. The battle is already won, mm. and um, and that we get the privilege of participating in this. Mm. Can, the only thing you can do in response is worship. So, mm. mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, <laughs> Liddy's composing herself. I am composing myself. Um, thank you, Rob, for testifying. I was really mm. struck by that word, and you just um, mentioned it as well, Mark. The testimony isn't, it isn't, you know, just a retelling of what's happened. It's testifying of God's work and God's mm. goodness and his grace and his mercy. May we see more of it. Mm. Amen. Mm. That is our prayer. So bless you, Rob. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you to all of you, our listeners, mm. for joining us again. Uh, we'll be back with more. Now, if you um, want to get sort of the inside scoop or the background uh, conversation, we have our subscriber chats that we send out a few days after the episode. So you can subscribe to our mailing list by heading to rearbuilders.co. And we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.